Uh, we are starting a new series um, this uh, or today, uh, and it's going to happen go through for the next few weeks um, on the fruits of the spirit, uh, which is a big thing to talk about um, within Christianity and when it comes to the scriptures. Um, but before we get to that, this is this is the last service of the school year. Um, you guys made it. You guys can let's clap for that because you guys deserve that. It's been a weird year. Yeah, it's been a weird year. I think coming out of COVID, yeah, yes, yes. Very, very much deserved. It's been a weird year. Um, I think coming out of COVID, just so much going on in the world, going on in your own lives, trying to figure out how to even socialize in person. Like, oh my gosh, already with the social anxiety, add on to that. But you guys are here, you guys made it. Uh, For those who are graduating, literally in like what, like maybe like a week, right? At the end of this, is it at the end? Six days. Girl, you're walking, I know. Yeah, so we're ready to get out of here, right? Um, Kudos to you guys for graduating. Uh, going through the weirdest school year. Um, just want to give you guys props where credit is due. Yes, thank you. Good. Um, <clears throat> I, I was given the option today to either preach on uh, just a f- kind of like a random message, kind of like a farewell type of thing, or to con- continue on, uh, or at least to start us off with the series for our church. Um, and I decided to go with this, to go with this um, the series because there's some of you guys that are going to stick around here at Riverview or in the Lansing area and the rest of our venues we are going to be carrying on uh, within this series and so if you guys are sticking around as Dan said you can either go to Holt venue or you can go to the Real Town venue and we will continue on with this Fruit of the Spirit uh, series um, I don't want this to be some sort of farewell address for you guys as you jump into the summer but I want this to be a message for you guys that hopefully will prepare you for the summer and prepare you for oh we're switching mics okay thank you thank you thanks Betsy um thank you um to prepare you for uh the summer and really for the rest of your lives because when we talk about the spirit when we talk about the fruits of the spirit that is something that is not just time bound per se but that is something that goes with you for the rest of your life right and so for us today, we're going to jump into this series. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 26. You can use your phone app or whatever you brought with you, or you can follow along on the screens. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says this, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, that's a warning, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that, get this, you don't do, oh, I'm sorry, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and everything similar. It's kind of like a catch-all. I am warning you about these things as I wanted you before, that those, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, big claim there. But the fruit of the Spirit, get this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you for hearing out these 13 verses. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll jump into this. All right? Let's pray. Father, I do pray for our final service of the school year today. Um, pray for my friends here. For those who have been coming out faithfully over the years, uh, or maybe this was their first year um, coming to our service, uh, or maybe this is their first time um, coming to our service, whatever, uh, wherever we may be, Lord, in that uh, regard, I pray, Father, that you would allow your word to just resonate in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word, um, that, that our minds would be sharp to understand it, uh, that our ears will be open to hear your word, Lord. Um, also for myself, Lord, I just pray uh, that you would uh, allow my mind to be sharp as I teach your word, um, and that you, O oh God, will be magnified and glorified uh, today, uh, especially as we talk about your spirit, uh, the, the beautiful helper uh, that comes uh, to us in our time of need, that walks alongside us uh, in the depths of our brokenness uh, and, and, and the, the, the peaks of our joy. Um, Lord, you have given us the gift of the spirit, and I pray that you would help us to understand it and what it means to bear fruit uh, from the Spirit, Lord. And so we're grateful for today. We thank you for Christ and all that he has done on the cross and in his resurrection and ascension. And it's his name that we pray, in his name that we pray. Amen. So in our world, um, there always has been some form of what we call a dichotomy, right? Some sort of binary, right? Binaries really exist uh, everywhere. There's a dichotomy in this case of what we like to say good or bad. Good versus bad, right? We have the, this framework of a protagonist, right, that comes up or that already exists, and then an antagonist that rises from the ashes to go against the protagonist, right? It, it's all around us. When you look at, you know, God versus Satan, right? That, that's a, a protagonist or anti versus antagonist type of story. You have angels and demons, right? You have the Avengers versus Thanos, right? Uh, you have MSU versus U of M. You can pick and choose what's the protagonist and antagonist there, right? Clearly, U of M antagonist, right? Yes, amen, right? You have things like Ukraine versus Russia. You have things like Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. You have all of these different things, right? You have the protagonist and the bubbling up of the antagonist, right? That is kind of a, a worldview of sorts to view the world, right? Um, when you, when you look at even your life, when someone does you dirty, right? When someone gives you, does, does you wrong, you're like, that is, <laughs> that is my arch nemesis, right? Every single one of us had somebody, their name pop up 
in our minds. Objection, yeah. <laughs> You're too good, Eli, right? Um, but that is a binary or a dichotomy that we kind of live and view the world in. And I want to offer up to us today that perhaps the Bible is not just about good versus bad. That it's not just about good versus evil, but that it is actually a book filled with a binary that is much deeper and much more nuanced than just good versus evil, good versus bad, but that it is actually about holiness versus sinfulness, that it is about righteousness and unrighteousness, that it is about flesh and spirit, that good and bad actually maybe might be doing us a disservice in understanding how to understand the Bible and God's approach and God's understanding and his creation of this world and our lives. Maybe you guys have been in a similar position as me, or maybe you've said this about yourself. I have friends that come up to me and they say, Young, I know you are in ministry. I know you're a Christian. You love this person named Jesus. You love God. But Christianity is not for me. And I say, why? And they say, most of the time, Oh, I'm just too bad. <laughs> like, I, I've done too many bad things in my life, so therefore, I, I, there's no way that God would love me. Their immediate thought is, well, I've just been too bad. It's this, this all-encompassing word that envelopes their entire life as they reflect on what they've done in their lives. But we will soon find out again in this passage that life and, and, and even spirituality and, and pursuing God is not about good and bad. But it is much, more, it is much deeper and more nuanced than that. Look at Galatians 5, 13 through 15, what we just read. Paul says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. What the Apostle Paul, uh, to give some context, what he was dealing with in the church in Galatia, specifically, uh, what in short, was that people within the church were preaching a different gospel. They were saying, if you want to be part of the people of God, the family of God, you, had to be, you can believe in Jesus, but you also had to still work for your salvation. In this case, you had to still follow the Mosaic law. But Paul would argue in other books that, well, Jesus fulfilled the law, therefore you don't have to follow the law, right, the Jewish law. But people within the church in Galatia were preaching that. And that's how you become part of the family of God. And so Paul, seeing this, he writes to this church, this letter to direct the church on what the gospel actually is and how it should affect their lives. Let's not miss that part. It's not just what the gospel is, but this is how the gospel should affect and change your life. And I want to focus here on the theme of one another because that is so intentional. I will say this boldly to you guys, that if, for you, if the gospel, right, in terms of what, uh, how it affects your life, is that it's just me and Jesus, you have a truncated version of the gospel. Because the power of Jesus in your life, the power of the gospel in your life should move you to 
serve and love one another, as the Apostle Paul writes. The freedom we have in Christ is not to serve myself, no. It's not to indulge in the things that I want to do, but it is to serve one another. And we'll get to this idea later in our time together. But pay attention here to how Paul connects his thoughts from one another, right, to serve, to love one another. He connects that with this dichotomy of spirit and flesh, 16 through 18. Look at what he says. I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Let me read that again. It's so important for us. I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. Paul writes explicitly, these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That last sentence might be confusing. You're like, okay, I get this opposition thing, but what what does the law, the Mosaic law, have to do with any of this? The people in, in Galatia, again, wrestled with false teaching of the gospel, right? It's gospel plus works. And that was the stamp of approval to be in the family of God. Right? To enter heaven, right? as, as maybe what, how we would say in, in maybe cultural Christianity here. If you wanted to get to heaven, the, the, the false teachers would say, you believe in the gospel, but also your works get you to heaven. But Paul says, no, the gospel alone is what the stamp of approval is, not the law. And if you didn't catch this, that's okay. But Paul also makes this huge claim here that there is now something dwelling within you within your life, within your heart. The Christ follower, right? The thing that actually moves us, compels us, convicts us, not only on what to do, but what not to do, is called the Spirit. You see, you know, people without the Holy Spirit um, so meaning, like, if you, if, you, if you don't identify as a Christian, right, if you, if you don't believe in the gospel, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, you know, people without the Spirit, they have a moral framework, right? Like, th- think of the people that are non-believers in your life. They have a moral framework. That is what we would say the common grace of God, you know, over them. The, there's some level of morality that the moral lawmaker God gives to the people in, around us. But people who do have the Spirit meaning those who identify as Christ followers, we have a moral framework and the Holy Spirit helps us discern even further what is good and bad. Or, like we said, what is holy and sinful. But what is, but is that what the entire Spirit's function is in our lives? To just tell us left or right, up or down, Backwards or forwards? Is it just another reinforcement of morality? I I mean, to some degree, I think it would be yes, um, but that would be a gross misrepresentation of it. In the Gospel accounts, Jesus tells his disciples that he gives them the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, let me let me nerd out. It wouldn't be an MSU venue service if I didn't nerd out on the Greek because I'm a complete nerd like that. So, in the Greek, the the Greek word for spirit or the Holy Spirit is Paraclete, 
Maybe some of you guys have heard this. It's paraclete, which breaks down into two words, okay? The first is para, which means alongside, and then the second is kaleo, to call. We can call on the Spirit to help us, to come alongside us in moments of difficulty, in the moments where we know we are supposed to go left, but we go right. And I also think that we can understand that the Spirit also calls on us, the very being that it indwells, to actually cert- to live in a certain way. So it's not that we just call on the Spirit, hey God, can you help us? Can you help me? I don't know what to do. What's your will for my life? I don't know whether to go this way or to take this job or to, to, um, to, to take that job or to, honestly, this might be a little taboo, but do I date this person or not date this person? God, can you give me a message, right? But I don't think it's just that. I think the Spirit actually calls us from within Hey, what, why are you watching that when you know you shouldn't be watching that video at 2 in the morning by yourself in your dorm room? Or, hey, maybe that person isn't the wisest person to be with. Or, hey, maybe that job isn't the wisest one to take. We have this thing called conviction that the spirit bubbles up in us. Uh, one of my favorite quotes Um, from an apologist that I know um, is that people have opinions, but convictions have people. Because I believe that convictions are bubbled up for the Christian, at least from the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't just reinforce morality in terms of what God's standard of morality is. The Spirit also guides us compels us, convicts us, and moves us towards God's way of living. John Mark Homer, who's a pastor out in uh, the Pacific Northwest, in his latest book titled Live No Lies, he attempts and successfully completes this goal of presenting the reality of the world that we live in. And this is the reality of the world that we live in. The enemy, or who some would call Satan or the Satan, He exists to kill, steal, and destroy. Oh, excuse me. Kill, steal, and destroy. And that because Christ has conquered already sin, sin, and death. We have nothing to fear when it comes to the enemy's goal to kill, steal, and destroy. We need not live in the lies of the enemy, which is what he tries to talk about in his book. And in the book, he has this fantastic approach of understanding this reality that we live in. You have this antagonist to kill, steal, and destroy the people of God, and then you have God or Christ, the protagonist, that already conquers that and then gives the Spirit. And like we said, the Spirit exists to compel us, to convict us. And in another way, John Mark Homer says this, that the Spirit uh, kind of bubbles up this thing called desire within us. And he has this great framework of desire. He says this about desire. He says, our strongest Desires are not our deepest desires. Our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. But I truly believe that the Holy Spirit exists to help us discern between the two. That it calls on the Christ follower in whom it indwells in to follow the deepest desires of the heart. Which more often than not, is different than the strongest desires of the heart or of the flesh. 
For example, I shared this with uh, some of our volunteers uh, before the service started. For many, pornography is a growing issue in our society, and there's a strong desire to engage in it, to indulge in it, to enjoy the, 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 the media of pornography. Because there, that's a strong desire but when you look deep down inside to someone who's addicted to pornography, for example, the deepest desire is what? Intimacy, longing, right? Relationship. That is a, a very stark example of the difference between strong desires and deep desire. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, moves us to follow and to find our deepest desires and to stay away from our strongest desires. Paul, I mean, kind of dives into this in the next few passages, verses 19 through 26. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's a lot. It's okay. It's a lot. You can do an entire sermon on this passage. You can do an entire sermon series. Oh, wait, no, we actually are doing an entire sermon series. No, wait. I, I legitimately like, just thought of that. I realized I thought we're doing an entire sermon series on this. Yeah. I need more coffee. Um, <laughs> let me help us work through this, though, okay? It's easy to see these verses. It's easy to see these verses, okay? Especially if you read them in your Bible, and all you just see are two lists, right? If you look at it in your Bible, which I don't know how many of you guys brought your Bible. No, not shaming you. That's fine. Look at it on your app, whatever. It's, it's not written as two lists, but our minds, I don't know about you guys, for me, I see it, I'm like, these are two lists. This is like two lists, yes. Grocery lists, things I have to buy, right? It's easy to see this as a don't do this list and a do this list, or something like that, right? You should have, avoid this in your life, and you should have this in your life. It's so easy to read it in this way. But I would argue, if you read this passage in that way, you are falling into the very trap that Paul was trying to go against. Because then it becomes about, I just gotta be good. I just gotta do good, and I gotta avoid the bad. That's what we call legalism. <laughs> That's what Paul was trying to avoid in the, book, uh, the, the, the church in Galatia. And as we discussed earlier, the Bible isn't so simple with do good and do bad. Or not, not do bad. <laughs> avoid bad, right? Don't do bad. If you recall, I told you guys to pay attention to the one another verses, right? The, the one another's in the first section that we read. 
in verses 13 to 15 because that's what comes into play here. Paul was very clear that the freedom in Christ that we have, the freedom from sin that we commit, the effects of sin, the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, right? We're, we have freedom away from sin to serve one another through love. And then from there, Paul discusses briefly the spirit and the flesh, and we know that there, the spirit comes alongside us in our lives and calls us to serve one another through love, which tells me that the flesh then leads me to serve who? Myself. Do you see why Paul started with to serve one another, to love one another? Paul's making a case that the desire of the flesh, right? And, and, and for, for those who might be new to the Christian faith, I should have explained this earlier, I'm sorry. The flesh means like kind of like our carnal desires, right? Our carnal biological desires. Uh, maybe you can boil it down to even a survival of the fittest, right? Like I'm going to keep my tribe alive and myself alive, so I'm going to kill you. Or I'm going to keep my resources from you. It's our carnal desires, right? That's the flesh, right? Sarks in the Greek. The flesh leads us to serve ourselves. Because, verse 17, if you look back, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. And what do people want to do? Protect themselves. Look out for themselves. They want to put themselves at the throne of their lives. They want to look out for their own well-being. And what does the spirit move us to do? To love one another to move from inward to outward. Because that is what Christ did. And we have the indwelling of Christ's spirit in our hearts. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus did the most selfless thing in the world. He gave up his own life for you and for me, for our sin, for our selfish need to preserve ourselves. He took it to the grave and then conquered the grave three days later by resurrecting, conquering sin, Satan, and death, conquering the desire to be selfish, conquering the desires of the flesh. And he gave us what when he went to heaven? He imparted the spirit, the paraclete, to help us to avoid looking out for ourselves and to start looking out for one another. This is, might be a hard word for us to hear today because the, the current philosophical waters that we live in, um, I'll try to keep it short, is that it tells us at the end of the day that you are a God. That is where we are right now in society. You go from post-modernity to post-truth, and the water we're headed towards that we're already in is that you exist to serve yourself because you yourself are a God. Little g, God, but a God nonetheless. So your desires matter the most before everyone else's. That's not to say you eliminate boundaries, you know, with people or whatever, you know, keep healthy boundaries, but the lie that we live in today is that you are a God 
Therefore, our strongest desires must actually equate to our deepest desires. Right? That's why it's so hard to decide, to discern, what, what, what should I actually do with my life? Because you, you follow your strongest desires and you don't find satisfaction. Right? Because this world says, whatever you feel is right. But we know that the flesh serves itself and the spirit serves one another. And so when it comes to the waters that we swim in today, the spirit of God moves actually so hard against it because it calls us to love and to look out for one another and not to serve ourselves. That is a hard word for us to hear today. And I pray that you guys, not only for this summer, but for the rest of your lives, that the Spirit would move and convict you in that way. This passage is not about what is good and bad. Please hear me that. Hear, hear me out on that. Right? Let me say that one more time. This is not about good and bad. This passage is Paul's attempt to state to the church in Galatia on what selfish, inward, Christless, spiritless life looks like. That he says, if you keep looking out for yourself and yourself first, you will consume, bite, and devour one another. This passage is about what selfless, outward, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, and empowered life looks like. That the church should be the first place that when people see is that people love and serve one another. That you're willing to let go of your own desires for your brother and for your sister. And it comes again with a stark warning. And honestly, this is a logical conclusion, I think, and I, I hate, I don't really like turn and burn preachers, and I'm afraid I might sound like one right now. Turn and burn is like, turn from your sin or you're gonna burn in hell, which is like true, but also like, that's not really loving, so. <laughs> but what does Paul say? He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> like, that's what the Bible says. That if you look out for yourself, always and only, maybe, just maybe, that sign that the Spirit does not indwell in you. Hot take. Sorry, I said it. Maybe you actually need Jesus. But all jokes aside, Paul says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That should scare you. Not in like a turn and burn, but like, oh my God. I really am just looking out for myself. The opposite is what the life of someone who has given their life to Christ actually looks like. That's where the fruits of Christ come into play, the fruits of the Spirit. We'll wrap it up with this. Alex McGraw, who's a friend of mine here at Riv, uh, she shared some biblical insights on her Instagram story last week um, about the fruits of the Spirit and what they were for, right? They're not just virtues that you try to get, right? That's a m gross misrepresentation of the fruits of the Spirit. It's not just like these pious virtues that you get when you become a Christian, right? Because, again, non-Christians have morals too. And sometimes some non-Christians are way better at some of these things than us. These fruits are not just virtues to attain, but according to Alex McGraw, and I agree with her, 
Here is her summary of how she followed the theme of the fruits in the Bible. Psalm chapter 1, Old Testament, talks about being planted next to a stream. Who, uh, someone who meditates on the word of God is someone who is a tree planted next to a stream. And they what? They bear fruit because of the word of God. John 14 through 16, jump into the New Testament. The story progresses with Jesus telling the disciples, remain in me because I am the vine and you are the branch and we have been appointed to bear fruit. So word of God leads to bearing fruit. Sticking with Jesus leads to bearing fruit. And then you jump to Romans chapter 6 and 8 and Galatians 5, what we just read. Paul discusses in both books that dying of the self Dying to yourself, the flesh bears fruit. What fruit do we bear if the Spirit of the Lord dwells in our lives? The uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self, uh, gentleness, and self-control. And Alex asked a fantastic question in her story. She asked, what are the fruits of the Spirit for? Revelation 22, 2 through 3. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will be no, no longer be any curse. Alex, Alex's conclusion is so wise, refreshing, and true. She wrote this. The fruits that we bear is for the healing of the nations. It's not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the community. We are saved and equipped for the sake of others. If your salvation in Christ Jesus is just for you and your own ticket to heaven, you've missed the point. You've missed it entirely. Because the way of Christ led him to die on the cross for you and for me and for the sins of the world. We are saved and equipped for the sake of others. Good versus bad. Good versus evil. Holiness versus sinfulness. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. Spirit versus flesh. Selfish desire versus selfless desire. Strongest desire versus deepest desire. Christless desire. Christ-centered and Christ-like desire. Spiritless desire versus spirit-filled desire, the battle that rages around us is nuanced and deep. And it's not as simple as good versus bad. And yet, the Apostle Paul has the godly audacity to say that we are free in Christ. Life is hard. You have this, I just listed all that. Life is difficult. But Paul says you are free in Christ because he recognizes that Christ did all the heavy lifting for us and he gave us the spirit to help us in our time of need. So when you're feeling like you just gotta look out for yourself, you gotta protect yourself, you gotta, you gotta heal yourself, you gotta do whatever for yourself, Try thinking about the Spirit. Ask God, Lord, can you help me to understand how can I live this life in this moment for other people and not just for myself? 
I want to wrap up our time here, okay, with a short um, exercise, um, not like a physical exercise, but like a spiritual exercise, um, to give us uh, time to reflect and to think ahead, all right? And like I had shared about strongest desire versus uh, deepest desire, um, I want us to kind of practice that real quick, all right? So if you have a journal or if you have the handout that you got as you came in, or you can use your phone even, that's fine. We'll give maybe like five minutes or so. You're not making a list, but rather, what are some of the strong desires you have in your life? Strong desires. Maybe it is for like, I need to make six figures. I got so much debt right now, I need six figures, right? Or something like that, right? Or, right? Or you're like, I just need to land like the best job ever right out of college, right? What is a strong desire you have in your life? Career focus, making lots of money, dating someone, etc. whatever, right? And then next to that, take some time to think. What is the deeper or deepest desire that my heart is actually longing after? Maybe it's security. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's clout. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's, it's a, a type of honor that you want from your parents or a type of respect you want from your parents that you can finally say, hey, look, I got this job. Get off my back. What, 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 is, what is this deeper desire? And then ask yourself, what does the gospel, what does Jesus have to say about that deeper desire? Can you find satisfaction in him and what he has done for you? So what is your strongest desires, deeper desire, and then what does the gospel actually say? So we're gonna do that for about maybe like you know, a few more minutes, and then what I want you guys to do is actually we're gonna, because this is the last service, um, I want us to kind of just group into like groups of like two and three, um, and then just pray for each other this is, this is a deep desire I have. Maybe it's an insecurity that you're willing to share. Like, yeah, I struggle with, like, status, and I know that's not good. Can you pray for me, right? Or maybe it's, like, I struggle with, like, feeling, like, intimacy. Can you pray that I find that in Christ? So do that, and then uh, I'll, I'll point us to a time of prayer with each other, and then I'll wrap us up with a word of prayer. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, and then, because I, I want to give you guys a tool to actually use for the rest of your lives. This is a really helpful exercise. I do this um, from time to time. So um, break, and then we'll come back together. I'll pray for us, and then we'll sing some um, closing songs. So, all right, go.